Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. which um, will be on the screen behind me. Um, But if you have your Bibles in front of you, I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 25. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Awesome. Thanks, Elizabeth. We are going to do a two-part series. So part one, we're going to look at today. If there's some stuff we don't cover, we'll do a part two next week. Let's pray and then we'll hook into this. Heavenly Father, thanks uh, so much again that we can gather together this morning. And Father, we pray that whatever things have been, um, ha- have been distracting us, have been weighing uh, upon us, we pray for this moment now, Lord, that we would be able to let them go, that we would be able to focus and hear what you're saying, and we pray, Lord, that you would transform us and change us. We thank you for this time together, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, our day and age, people love to have an experience of the divine. If if you haven't noticed this, uh, it's all around us. I was having a chat to someone uh, recently about their trip to India. uh, And in India, they uh, went to experience uh, some uh, of an Indian ancient Eastern yoga. Now, it was an interesting conversation. It was different to Western yoga, they were saying. It was uh, passed down from some 4,000 years from one guru to the next, generation after generation. And they had this experience where they got to sense, they tasted, they had this experience of the divine. Now, it it was an enlightened experience, they said. It was as they focused, they had this, they haven't seen it anywhere else. Now, it was an interesting conversation. It was a unique conversation. uh, But as we were chatting, I began to realize that this idea is not unique to that particular person or experience. In fact, lots of different people right around the world chase and want this experience of the divine. Whether it's in Islam, uh, there's an encouragement to go to Mecca, their holy city, once in your lifetime. In Buddhism, there's this experience of trying to reach nirvana or enlightenment. For some people, there's this idea that God is in creation. So if you can just reach creation, a sense of creation, you're going to experience the divine. For some people, it's tarot cards and palm readings. For others, they might deny the divine, but they still want this elevated experience. And so they pursue it in music or in alcohol or relationships or even drugs. But whichever way you look at it, people right around our world right now want this elevated experience. People want this experience of the divine. In fact, right now, people are spending billions of dollars each year trying to get this taste of the divine. 
Now, as we gather together this morning, we gather in a church, and it's worth kind of thinking about this for a moment and asking the question, what does God tell us? What does God speak into this? If this is kind of within human desire to get this taste or experience of the divine, what does the living God say about how we get that and what that looks like day to day in our lives? Well, this is what we're going to think about for a moment as we, as we open up God's Word and spend some time in Hebrews chapter 10. Because what we see is the author speaks into this. And today, the author is going to give to us answers to four questions as we think about this experience of the divine. And the first we see from verse 19 is the question, how do we get to God? Notice he answers this in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So as we think about this experience of the divine, the question we want to start with is how do we get to God? And it's clear the answer here is through Jesus. Right, that much is clear. Uh, you see it twice there. He speaks about this idea of since we have, and what do we have? We have confidence, he says, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And then in verse 21, we have a great high priest. Hebrews speaks all the time about how that is Jesus. And so if we're thinking about this question, how do we get to God? The answer from the author is through Jesus. Now, of course, there's some stuff to unpack here. Right? The language here is capturing, it's rich language that the author is, is grabbing from the Old Testament. And we do have to kind of grasp that to see the weight and the power of what he's saying here. Because what the, the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he's, he's picking up on temple language here. Okay, So in the Old Testament, in the temple, if you wanted an experience of God, if you wanted to go into the presence of God, the way that God kind of allowed that to happen was in the temple in the most holy place okay so that's why he uses this language here and in the most holy place there's this this representation of god's special holy presence okay now if you were an ancient jew and you wanted to experience this well you you couldn't just experience it there were lots of barriers stopping you from going into the most holy place so depending on your race depending on your gender you had restrictions straight away from entering into the temple then you might be able to see the curtain, but not everyone could go into the curtain. Uh, only certain priests could go, into the, the, go past the curtain. And if you were a priest, not every priest, only one priest, the high priest, and not at any time, only one time in the year after a certain amount of sacrifices. Right? So the idea of getting into the most holy place, there were barriers. There were barriers at the temple, there were barriers with circ- uh, sacrifices, there were barriers with the curtain, and then only the high priest, once a year, after these sacrifices. There were all these barriers to stop you from entering into this special holy place, into the presence of God. Now, you kind of ask this question, okay, so why in the temple were there all these barriers? Why were there these things stopping people from entering, this, this presence? Why, why did God make it so difficult for people? Well, to, to answer that, we've got to go a bit further back to the Garden of Eden. You see, in the very beginning of the Bible, we see that in chapters 1 and 2, God is with His people. And the garden is this great experience where God is with his people. They experience the beauty of creation. But of course, if you've been on the journey reading the Bible in a year so far, we know that didn't last that long. 
In chapter 3, sin entered the world, and sin was that moment where people rejected God. They ignored God. They, they wanted to do their own thing. You know, we might define sin more broadly than that too. It's the bad things we do and the good things we don't do. And when sin entered into the world, all of a sudden, there was a barrier between humanity and God. Now, it is interesting because I think relationally we get this. You know, when someone ignores you, or rejects you, if someone does something bad against you, you know there's a problem in that relationship. We feel that. You know, we might call that an emotional barrier. We, we know that experience. It's not a physical barrier, but there is something wrong there when, when someone wrongs us. When we think about us and God, it, it's a bigger deal than that because it's not just an emotional barrier. There's a spiritual barrier between us and God. People have rejected God, and now there is a problem. And so what happened? Well, they were kicked out of the garden. Now, now, one way to think about this uh, with a, a living illustration is one stolen from the Alpha course. Uh, we run that here at Southside, which is just a great course if you want to explore Jesus and ask your questions. But they have this illustration to talk about the barrier of sin. So, so picture this, right? In the Garden of Eden, you've got us, humanity. And, and if God is up there in the garden, there was this perfect relationship between us and God. But when sin entered the world, represented by God, this book, uh, when sin entered the world, all of a sudden there's a barrier between us and God, right? Humanity can't just enter this relationship with God because now there is something stopping them. There is a problem, and that problem is sin. So what happened in the garden is they were kicked out of the garden. There's a physical moment for them, kicked out of the garden, representing the spiritual problem of sin. Now, if we fast forward and we get to the temple, we get this Eden-like moment again because God's presence is there. It's a special thing, right? God can meet with his people. But of course, there are barriers. There are things stopping people from entering into the presence of God. Now, why is that? Well, one of the reasons is because it's representative of the fact that there is a spiritual barrier. The physical things, the sacrifices, the curtain, the representative, all of that is pointing to the fact that there is a spiritual problem between humanity and God. Sin exists. And so if you were an ancient Jew and you wanted to enter the presence of God, you were reminded every single time there is something stopping you. And it's not just the temple, it's not just the curtain, it's not just the sacrifices, it's your sin. Now that's the context. Right, that's what the Old Testament speaks to us about entering this experience of God. And so all of a sudden then, when we get to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, if the context is barriers, things stopping me, then let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 10 again and feel the weight of what he's saying. Because if you've grown up and, and that's your experience, then look at these words because they're powerful here. Right? He says again in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. They've never had confidence to enter the most holy place. They couldn't do it. Only one person could do it, the high priest, once a year. But he's saying now we have confidence to enter the most holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest, who's Jesus, not just a representative over the house of God. The author of Hebrews is saying something radical here. To get to God, there are no barriers. The thing that stopped us from getting to God, now it's been dealt with. Why? Because of Jesus. Jesus took our place. Jesus made a way for us. He died on the cross so that now we could have this perfect relationship with God. It's, it's powerful, right? He says we have confidence to enter the most holy place. 
We can go right into the presence of God because of Jesus. Now, this truly is the good news of the Bible. It's, it's powerful because what it's saying is to get to God, it's not about you. It's not your merit. It's not your effort. It's all about the finished work of Jesus at the cross. It's such a freeing, beautiful message to know that the truth of the Bible is we get to God through Jesus. But you know, the power of this message is not just in the beauty in and of itself. I mean, it is a good message, but it's also a good message when you consider how bad humanity's efforts are to get to God, because there are problems with our efforts to get to God. In fact, there are a couple of big problems with our efforts to get to God. So if you think of pilgrimages to get to God, any human effort to get to God, the problem is, well, the first problem is, it's reserved for the elites. You've got to be healthy, you've got to be wealthy, and you've got to have some sort of mental capacity to do that. I mean, you think about it, right? So to go on a pilgrimage, if that's what you've got to do to get to God, who can do that in our day and age? The rich, right? The rich, they're the only ones who can do that. If you're poor, you can't travel around the world to get to a certain place to experience the divine. So if it's, if it's based on human effort, it's reserved for the rich, or you think of something else, right? Maybe it's not, med- maybe it's not a, a pilgrimage. Maybe it's something like meditation. But even then, you think about meditation. You think about this idea of clearing your mind. Who's that reserved for? It's reserved for people who can do it. So you wipe kids out of that, right? Like I've got a two-year-old daughter. She ain't focusing on anything, especially not for hours on end. So you wipe kids out of that. Kids can't do that. But who else can't do that? The disabled can't do that, so you wipe them out. Or, or people, some of us who might have disorders where we can't focus on things, so you wipe them out as well. So human effort to get to God's reserved for the elites, the wealthy, you've got to have a certain mind. Or, or even if you think about this idea of being good enough, right? If it, it comes down to me being good enough, of reaching a certain moral level, who's that reserved for? It's reserved for people who have a clean background. So you wipe people out who came from a rough neighborhood, You wipe people out who had a rough background. Often that is the poor as well. And so you just wipe all of those people out. Human effort to get to God is reserved for the elites, the healthy, the wealthy, the wise. But of course, that's not the only problem with human effort to get get to God. The bigger problem is that it never truly deals with the problem of sin. Right? You, you see that? I mean, you can have this elevated experience. So you might travel the world and have this experience that's like nothing else. But at the end of the day, you don't deal with the thing that's stopping you from entering that relationship with God. You, you might travel somewhere. You might have this experience where someone can tell you your future. Someone might be able to tell you your personality like no one else can. You might have this divine experience, but the reality is human effort doesn't deal with the problem. The thing that stopped the relationship in the first place. Human effort to get to God is reserved for the elites and it doesn't fix anything. But of course, that's, that's not the message of the Bible. No, the message of the Bible is that we have confidence to enter right into the most holy place, the presence of God by the blood of Jesus, the finished work of the cross. It's such a beautiful message, and it's not reserved for certain people. I mean, you look at Jesus' life, he hung out with all different types of people, people who had money and people who had nothing. People who were good standing in society and people who were outcasts. Jesus hung out with adults and kids and he said, let them come to me. There is a beautiful reality of the message of the Bible that this is for all people. And to get to God, it's not based on you, it's based on the finished work of Jesus. 
How do we get to God? The answer is only through Jesus. There's no other way that you can get to God. So if this is the answer to the question, how do we get to God? If it's only through Jesus and his work, then the question is, okay, so what does that mean for us? Right? If he's the one that's done it all, what does that mean for us? Well, this is where he goes in this passage. And we see this, and, and, and there's three let us's, so this is what I mean. Next week we'll talk about some of the other implications of this as well. But verse 22, he speaks about what it means for us. He says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, the, the second half of that is speaking of this reality that Jesus' blood washes us clean. That's, that's why we can enter into the presence of God. But, but what I love about this is this idea of drawing near gives us a language to describe what it means for us. Okay, so what does it mean for us? If, if Jesus has done it all, what does it mean for us? Well, firstly, we draw near. And we draw near to God in the, the first sense. So we put our trust in Him. Right? This is a, a kind of a one-off experience or, or a moment where we declare we're going to trust in Jesus. So, so here it is. If you want forgiveness of your sins, if you want to get to God, if you want eternal life, if you want to know the Creator who made you, then draw near by trusting in Him for everything. This is where we let go of anything in our hands and we trust in the finished work of Jesus. And we draw near and we trust in Jesus. And when we trust in Jesus, we can know we got confidence to enter His presence. So there's a sense that drawing near, it captures this idea of the first time. But what I love about this language is it also helps us see the ongoing sense of it. You know, the good news of the Bible, it's not an abstract idea that you like bank. You know what I mean? Like you go, okay, I've got that. There's a sense of this drawing near is an ongoing reality in our lives. And, and this picture of drawing near to God, it's this sense of day in, day out, drawing near to who God is. Now, it, it's interesting because often at this point, you know, people say, well, hang on. If Jesus does everything, then I don't have to do anything. You know, like if Jesus does it all, then why do I have to draw near? But, but if that's where your brain has gone, you've, you've probably misunderstood the, the nature of this relationship that God has with his people. So think about it like this. Um, uh, eight years ago now, Elizabeth and I, my wife, we got married, which is, makes me feel a little bit old. Just a little bit. Um, and... And eight years ago, so we had that moment in a church where we made our vows and our promises, you know, we, we said the right things to each other, and then we were declared to be husband and wife. You know what didn't happen after we got married? What didn't happen is I, I didn't go, just to make it clear, I didn't go, great, I've got the status of marriage, now I can go and do whatever I want. I didn't do that. I didn't go, I'm free to talk to whoever I want and do whatever I want. No, the, the opposite was actually true. I said, now that, oh, I didn't say this, it was just my lived reality, now that I've got the status, I can draw near. And we increased, we didn't decrease our time we spent together, we increased our time together. Now, we know that's how it works in relationships, but, but this is kind of the reality with God, right? So we have the confidence to enter the most holy place. We have that. He's given that. It's a status given, not earned. And yet, he says, now let us draw near in this ongoing sense. It's an invitation by the living God not to decrease our time spent with him, but to increase our time spent with him because of the beauty of who he is. So, so how do we get to God? He says, the finished work of Jesus, only Jesus alone. What does it mean for us? Well, it means we draw near. So then the third question is, how do we draw near? 
What does it look like for us to draw near? Well, there, there are, from the Bible, there are lots of different ways to draw near to God. So we can draw near to God through His Word. That's how God speaks to us. We draw near to God by gathering together. You know, this is a reality this morning. This is us drawing near to God. We draw near to God when we sing. But the one we're going to think about this morning is drawing near to God through the gift of prayer. In prayer, this is how we draw near to God. Now, I want to read a quote from you from a guy called Sam Storms. He's a, a pastor in America, uh, an author of a lot of books, but he, he's got this thing to say about drawing near. And I think it's really helpful. He says this, Drawing near is an invisible act of the soul. It is that spiritual movement of the heart of a man or woman by which we cry out to God for help by which we express our trust in His goodness, by which we lay hold of His promises, by which we believe Him to be all that Scripture says He is, by which we proclaim that He is great and beautiful and we praise Him for all He is and all He's done, by which we say, You alone are my hope and my joy and my salvation and I refuse to trust in another. I love that language there. Drawing near is an invisible act of the soul. But it is a spiritual movement, he says. So think Old Testament again. How do you get to God? It's a physical movement. You've got to go to the temple. You've got to go into the temple. And then someone's got to go on your behalf. There was a physical movement to draw near to God. But now, because of Jesus, how do we draw near to God? It's a spiritual movement. It's through the gift of prayer. And so what this means is for us to enter the most holy place, the presence of God... It's one step away, and that step is prayer. Now, yes, of course, God is everywhere. There is a truth to that. There is a reality that God is always everywhere. But there's also this sense that God's presence, the most holy place, can be experienced through prayer. That's how we draw near. We draw near to God through prayer. So, number one, how do we get to God? Through Jesus. Number two, what does that mean for us? We draw near. Number three, how do we draw near? We pray. And then number four, the last question we're going to ask this morning is, so, so why would we pray? Now, I know at this point, I often want this, like, how do we pray? You know, and, and Jesus answers that. We, we see that in the Lord's Prayer. He gives us a model of how to pray. And there is a time and place for how we pray. But if I reflect on my journey in the last little while, the thing that has drawn me in to prayer is not just tips on how to pray, but understanding what happens when I pray, understanding the why of prayer. So why would we pray? Well, this morning there's three reasons we would pray from this passage, I think, that you can find them. Three reasons uh, as we reflect on this passage. Number one, the reason why we would pray. Number one, the first reason we would pray is because when we pray, we are drawing near to God. There is a sense, when we pray, we actually experience the presence of God. We have confidence to enter the most holy place, Jesus, uh, uh, the author of Hebrews said, by the blood of Jesus. So when we pray, there is actually this sense that we are in the throne room of God. That we pray to the living God, that He is genuinely with us. You know, prayer is not just something you do because you want to tick off a list. It's, it's something you do because when you pray, you are with the living God. And so why would we pray? It's because we get to experience the presence of God in that moment. Now, it is worth saying we can't expect to have this elevated experience every time we pray. You know, sometimes we want that, right? You, you want this, I don't know what you want when you pray, but sometimes we want this super spiritual moment. 
But I don't, I don't think we can expect that. And again, I think thinking about our relationships helps us in this moment. So like, if you think of any relationship you've got in your life, but the, maybe the closest people in your life, not every conversation you have with them is the best conversation ever. You know that, right? Some conversations we have are just mundane. Some are conversations we just have to have. Some conversations are hard. Some conversations are difficult. Sometimes we're going through seasons of, of, a, of a drought. Sometimes, with the people we love, sometimes it's nice just to sit with them. Have you ever had that moment where it's just nice to sit in silence with those people? Now, it shows us something about relationships. We, we, we know that with relationships. I think there's something we can take with that when we think about prayer and God. We can't always expect this mountaintop experience but we can expect that the more that we pray, when we do pray, since God is with us, the more we experience all of the different things that come with that. You know, the highs and lows of life as we walk with God through the dark times and the difficulties, as we just sometimes sit with God because we don't have the words to say. But as we do that, the more that we pray, the more we experience the beauty of His presence and the goodness of who He is. This passage shows us Prayer is not just something to tick off a box. There is something about this. We, we enter, we draw near to God. We have entrance into the presence of God. And so why would we pray? Because that is one way we get to experience the presence of God. So number one, we experience the presence. Number two, prayer gives us perspective. There is not much in this world that gives you a perspective like prayer. As you sit with the living God, there's something that changes in our heart in the way that we see things. You know, you think about any emotion, any experience in our life. You think about, you know, something like anxiety. You know, when I'm anxious about whatever's going on in my life, when I feel that deep in my heart, there is nothing that calms my soul or gives me perspective like sitting with the Lord who says, I clothe the lilies of the field and I'll look after you. There's nothing that gives me perspective like that. You, you think about any experience though, like when you're proud, nothing humbles you, like falling face down before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When you're struggling, and, and you know, maybe it's financially, maybe we're feeling that at the moment, but, but if we're struggling financially, nothing gives us perspective like sitting with the God and praying to the God who's, who, who owns the cattle of a thousand hills, who says that he feeds the birds of the air and asks us to pray for our daily bread. Nothing gives us perspective in those struggles like prayer. You think about anything that you're going through. Are you alone? Do you feel loneliness? Nothing helps us like sitting with the God who's actually with us. Do you feel like someone's attacking your identity and who you are? There's nothing that gives us perspective like remembering that before the God of the universe, we are loved. Whatever it is, right? Anger, sadness, sorrow, numbness, whatever we're feeling, there's nothing like sitting and praying to the living God. Prayer is one way we experience the presence of God, but prayer also gives us a deep perspective about who we are and who God is. So first presence, second perspective, third, finally, the last reason why we would pray is because there is a peace that surpasses understanding that God gives in prayer. If you've ever experienced before, this before, you know it's just the best. But this is something that God gives us in prayer. And it's something that I've experienced in the last little while. Uh, and I'd love to share just one moment from a couple of years ago when, when I felt this. And, and this moment, just because it was the most chaotic moment, when I think about things going on in my life, it was the week before 
our daughter Poppy was born and Elizabeth was sick in hospital and it was chaotic. We didn't know what was going on. And you know it's chaotic when the nurses are being a little bit sheepish about what's happening. And so we were kind of worried about Elizabeth, not sure about our baby. At the same time, there was chaos with my study and finishing, uh, getting to the finishing line for my study. And there were some interviews I had to do that week as well. And you just put all that together and it was chaos. And I felt chaos outside of me, and I felt chaos within me. And there was this one moment. It was a Thursday moment. I wo- uh, Thursday morning. I, I woke up alone because Elizabeth was in hospital. And I remember sitting with God and praying to God. And there was just this moment, right? Like I experienced, because we do in prayer, you get to experience the presence of God in perspective. But I felt this chaos, chaos outside and chaos within. But God was gracious in that moment. And there was just this experience that I had. They're kind of like, you know, it's almost a description, like you look at the waves were crashing all around me, and yet for whatever reason in prayer, there was calmness in my soul, in the very depths of who I was. It, and it just, it just washed over me. You know that feeling, the chaos when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're hot, and then it just calmed. And I think this is what God meant when he said, pray in all circumstances and the peace that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts. Because in prayer, God gives us this peace, a peace that doesn't make sense. Now, we we don't always get that peace, right? There are times when, you know, we pray for things and we're still feeling chaotic and we're still anxious, whatever it is. But that peace that surpasses understanding is found often through the gift of prayer. You see, if we can change our mindset about prayer, that prayer is not just something I do to tick off a box, but actually it's a moment where I get to experience the presence of God and gain perspective and His peace is with me, it does move us to prayer. You see, we live in a world where people want this experience of the divine. I think it's actually built into us that we want this experience of our Creator. I think our Creator put that in us. But the reality is, How we experience the divine is not through our own efforts, a pilgrimage, or anything we can do. It's through Jesus alone. But the beauty of the message of the Bible is that Jesus doesn't just say, okay, cool, that's it. Now live your life apart from that truth. No, he invites us to live our life from that reality as we live a life that's continually drawing near to God because we have access We have confidence to enter the most holy place. And so we keep drawing near to the living God. And as we do, we experience His presence, we gain perspective, and we feel this peace. So let's pray now. Father, as we pray now, we enjoy the beauty that we can enter the most holy place with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would lift our eyes to this truth, that you would help us deep in our hearts grasp this reality that right now you are with us. You are not an absent God. You are not distant. You are not far off. You are with us. And we enjoy this confidence because of the finished work of Jesus. God, we pray that as we leave this room, as we go into the rest of our lives, we pray that you would draw us into prayer. 
as we draw near to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.